Now, um, this morning, um, we're going to be uh, embarking on a little bit more of a journey, but before we do so, I want to refresh our memories on um, some words that um, many of us are going to be aware of, and they are words that God spoke to his people. But a lot of us may think, you know, is that actually relevant for us today? So... The words that I want us to, to just be aware of as we start this morning are these words. From 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says there that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God says, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, the context for this familiar passage that many of us are, are aware of is that the... Um, thank you, Ed. Um, is, is that? I can now see things, which is going to be great. Um, the context for this is that God's saying these words to the wise and powerful King Solomon just after he had built the impressive engineering feat of the temple in Jerusalem. And so God says these important words to Solomon just after that significant event. But these words then are really interesting because it says that not only is it, you know, just because there is a whole lot of human endeavour and they've accomplished great things, even accomplished things that are, is for the honour of God and fulfil fulfill parts of the plans of God, even if there is great human endeavour, if there's something wrong with the land, if there's something wrong with the environment, it is actually, actually indicative of some greater issues and attitudes that people have to be aware of and that people have to address. Yet God says, though, in these words to Solomon, says, if people are prepared to humble themselves and to seek God out, then God will come and heal their land. Now, are these words here, are they just for the time of Solomon? Are they simply for that particular context? Or does it actually have relevance for us today? Have I just pulled it out to help make a point, as preachers do from time to time? <laughs> Is it out of context? Now, we recognise, don't we, that our, our land is hurting, that our world is hurting. In the recent uh, You and the Environment church survey that we had where you can respond to about issues of the environment, everybody who responded said that there is something happening with our world. It is hurting. Our world is hurting. Now, we may not all agree on to what extent our world is hurting, but clearly all of us believe that there's something happening. And if we will agree that something is happening to our environment, that our world is hurting, then we, will we then follow God's instructions to Solomon about for us to come and seek God, admit our failings to allow him then to heal this land. You see, it's from this passage that we then get the title of this series that we're currently in called Heal the Land. And it is in the midst of this desire that we have for God to come and do his miraculous work for our environment that we have this, that this series is based. And today we find ourselves then in week three of this series. And if you are joining us for the first time today in the room or online, just a little bit of a recap, 
What we've talked about over the past few weeks is this. We've had a look at the issue of ecological design, about God's part in designing and in creating everything in this physical world. And for the, what purpose did he do that? And then the next week we looked at the issue of ecological stewardship. I mean, recognising ultimately that God did not merely create us to be the focus of his love, but he created us also to be the stewards of his creation, of this world. And what we recognise is saying that we talked about last week is that stewardship does not mean exploitation or abuse or selfish use of the environment, but rather Stewardship is about the protection, about the keeping of, the care of the environment. So if this is your first time with us in this series, can I encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel and check out what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. But today, though, we're going to be looking at another aspect, a different aspect of our ecological stewardship of creation. And we're going to be talking about the issue of ecological justice. Now, you may remember from our recent series on justice, we spoke about the fact that as an aspect of biblical justice is equal treatment for all. Hopefully that you can remember that. If you're part of our church family for a while, hopefully you remember about the important aspect of biblical justice, equal treatment for all. But you may also remember that a big part of the issue of biblical justice is about God's heart and God's help for the needy and the disadvantaged. And particularly from a biblical perspective, the needy and the disadvantaged are talking about the, the poor and the widow and the orphan in particular. And what we recognise and the, why the God has a heart for those people is because they know he knows that those people aren't going to get the equal treatment that's afforded to most other people. And he knows also that a lot of those people and, they, and their situations... They're even prejudiced against for them to even have those opportunities that the majority of us get to experience. So being a champion of justice in this world also then extends to an appreciation about how environmental issues affect the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged. You see, ecological injustice is just one form of justice that the people are that they have to endure and overcome. And ecological injustice is something that the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged are totally powerless to impact and do anything about. Now, ecological justice, though, is not a new concept. In fact, the Bible links ecological stewardship with directly with the issue of justice. So much so that the Bible says that we are failing in our stewardship. We're failing in our responsibilities to look after the environment if the poor are forgotten in the midst of our ecological management. Let me give you a few examples of how this is the case. When the people of Israel were coming into the land that God promised them, a land for their own, God told them plainly about how they are to use the land. God says these words. He says, When you enter the land that I'm giving you, 
the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes from your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. So part of God's instructions to his people for the effective stewardship of the land is to make it productive for six years, but on the seventh year, the land is to rest. The land is not to be productive. It's just there to rest. And the reason for that is because it makes good environmental sense to let the land rest and rejuvenate. Part of God's plans for the people is saying, I want you to be productive, but I also need the land to rest. Like the way that God says, I want you people to rest from your work. Work for six, rest for one. When it comes to land, work for six, rest for one. It's important to make sure that the environment is sustainable and productive for the long run. And so this is an important concept that God affirms to the people when you come into the land that you're going to manage for yourself. This is an important concept. But the interesting thing is that God affirms this in other places as well, but in other places he makes a profound extra instruction to the way that the people are to manage the land. This is what he says to Moses elsewhere. He says, for six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. That links back to what we've already read before from Leviticus. But then he says this, why? So then the poor among your people may get food from it. The wild animals may eat from what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. So the stewardship of the land is also conducted in a way that is to care for the poor. You see, if there is no rest, the poor will suffer. Poor ecological stewardship will affect the poor. But what we know, and you know too well today, isn't it, that we use the environment 24-7. That the way that humanity works on the environment is that it is unrelenting. It happens. We use it all the time. doesn't stop. But let's just assume for a moment that we adopt an Australian attitude to the environment where we only work five days a week instead of six. What if we only work five days a week on the environment? Will that actually help things? Well, the Bible actually makes it clear that it, even, even just our attitude for the five days doesn't cut it, particularly when we use what we do in those five days is so significant. Because isn't it true that we try to fit in as much as we can? We try to do as much as we can in those five days. But God says, I want you to have a different perspective. This is what else what God says about the management of the land. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap it to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go back over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them. Why? Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord. See, this is not merely a suggestion by God. This is something that God is commanding us to do. You see... 
God says here, don't try to get every single grape. Don't try to get every grain of wheat that you can out of the land. Because that attitude and that action will not help the poor. It's not simply about every seventh year the poor are helped, but it is in any time that we actually try to harvest, get something out of it for ourselves. I want you to use the land in a particular way, not so that you get everything out of it, but you, you harvest it, you take advantage of it, but do so also with the thought and concern about the poor. I want you to th- always be thinking about the poor, not simply about what you can get out of it. Now, all of these instructions from God speak to the fact that good and pleasing stewardship also ensures that the poor are helped, not further put at disadvantage. Always the way that the land was used from the Bible is about helping the poor. Now, where the land was used in the Bible described in the time of Moses and instructions about the land, that now is transferable to us today is saying all of the environment. So the principles when it came to the land back in Moses' day are now meaning the principles that we are to follow with all aspects of the way that we use the environment. So that means then that when it comes to our use of the land and the sea and the air, we are still to be using it in just as sustainable way as it was for the people back in Moses' day. But also then we also have to use the environment to make sure that we care for the poor because there was poor back in Moses' day. But I don't know about you, I don't think anything's changed. I think there's still poor amongst us in this world today, isn't there? So if there's poor still amongst us today, then the principles that, that, Mo, that God set to Moses still apply to us today, that we've got to be conscious about the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged. So from a biblical perspective, then, there's a very clear link between stewardship and justice. And usually whenever we fail in our environmental stewardship, it is the poor who suffer most. Remember the passage that we started off from 2 Chronicles, the words that God spoke to King Solomon? Could there be a problem with the land, with the world? Not simply because of our failings to manage the land and not keep to the Sabbath and look after the land as God intends us to, but could there be a problem with the land because we have ignored the plight of the poor? So how does, how does climate change, how do environmental issues actually help continue to promote injustice to the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged? Well, let's look at it from our own backyard first. For those of us who are, who are watching online, I'm not quite sure if church family you were of this, but we actually have people around the world who watch our services. There are people in South Africa in particular who like to watch us. How do we all our South African friends? For those who aren't aware, where we are today is that we're within a 20 to 30 minute drive from the Hawkesbury region that suffered terribly in the recent floods, a couple of floods in, in more recent times. But not only that, it's saying that eight hour drive from here, north, we hit, our, hit the region called the Northern Rivers and we particularly hit a town called Lismore. Now, Lismore has experienced floods 
like they've never seen before because they've had rain like they've never seen before. And so many people have lost everything. And many of the houses that have been damaged through those horrific floods are now deemed uninhabitable. And if they haven't already been knocked down, they soon will be. Now, from our own dry and safe lounge chairs, we may have a look at the footage on the news and think, oh my goodness, going through those floods, that would be incredibly scary and probably very, very dangerous. And it would be a massive inconvenience considering what they've been through and how it affects all their stuff, both personal and business and things like that. That would be terrible. But while many of us in our dry and safe lounge chairs think, well, at least they can rebuild, at least they can repair, so everything should be all right. Massive inconvenience, yes, but at least things will be right for them. See, for many people, though, particularly in the Lismore area, the only house that they could afford to buy was in a designated flood-prone area. And after the floods, the news reporters that came in in a wave to report on everything that was going on, they asked a few of those residents. And they said, so you're going to be able to rebuild now? And they said, we can't rebuild because we don't have flood coverage. And they go, well, why don't you have flood coverage? That's just stupid. Why wouldn't you have flood insurance coverage? And they said, because it's going to cost us between ten dollars and $25,000 a year for the, for the premium for, the, for flood coverage. Now, as a little bit of a comparison, our old house in Campbelltown, <laughs> which wasn't in a, in a flood zone, we paid $2,000 a year for building insurance. But yet these people who find themselves on the northern rivers, not only do they have to pay their 2000 or so insurance premium for their normal building insurance, they've got to pay somewhere between ten dollars and $25,000 extra to make sure they've got flood coverage. If they're struggling already to afford a house and the only house that they can buy is in a flood zone, what makes you think they're going to be able to afford insurance coverage for floods? And so not only do they have to survive the flood, not only do they have they lost everything, but they now don't have the money to be able to repair or rebuild the house because they can't afford the insurance. And their house that they had that they lived in is now uninhabitable and needs to be destroyed, demolished. So where are they to go? What are they to do? You might think, well, what you do then is that you sell the house. Because any money that they may have, they sell the house. But who wants to buy a house that's in a flood zone? And so the house now that they've invested so much money in is basically worthless and they don't have any money then to rebuild and restart again. Because any value in the asset is now gone because of the floods. Can you see how environmental effects even impact the poor in Australia? And this is just one example. One example, in our affluent country. But what about those who have a very different economic situation? I'm not quite sure if you realise this or not, but the average Australian minimum wage, the average minimum wage in Australia is $3,200 a month. Does that surprise you? Average minimum wage in Australia is $3,200 a month. Let's compare that to one of our closest neighbours, Indonesia. Indonesia's average minimum wage is $460 a month. 
Remember, $3,200 in Australia, $460 in Indonesia. So as a comparison, you would say that Indonesia is a poorer country than Australia. So how does environmental effects impact the people of Indonesia? In this, in this book that I made reference to last week, Words for a, for a Dying World, which is a collection of articles from the global church talking about the impact of environmental effects. One of the authors of the articles lives in West Timor, and obviously West Timor is very close to Indonesia. And uh, they speak about the fact that um, it's having a devastating effect upon the poor in Indonesia. Not only is there rising temperatures of, sea, sea, uh, of the sea itself, which is affecting greatly coral reefs, m marine ecosystems, meaning that there's a loss of st stocks of fish and plants that they use to eat. You see, the sea, when it comes to Indonesian people, the sea provides food for the poor, but then with the rising temperatures and the devastation being done to marine ecosystems, they're losing out on the ability to feed themselves. Add to that, then, is also the increasing presence of these huge fishing vessels that certain countries are now building, long-range fishing vessels that come in and basically carpet-bomb all the, all the fishing grounds and take all the fish out. So again, they're losing the ability, the poor are losing the ability to feed themselves, let alone to be able to sell some fish to actually make a meagre income. So it's not just the effects of climate change that are affecting the poor, but it's also the overuse of the environment that's infecting the poor significantly as well. And the example that I've just used in Indonesia doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of all the ways the poor are getting affected in this world. So you could say then that ecological injustice is the disproportionate impact of environmental issues upon the poor and upon those who least contributed to the problems in the first place. Now, you may remember then from a few weeks ago when we did the Justice series, we had a look in particular at the parable of the Good Samaritan and had a look at the fact that that is a story from Jesus about justice and the response to justice. But interesting, the story of the Good Samaritan starts off this way. From Luke chapter 10... This is what's recorded. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, for the most part, when it comes to those words about loving your neighbour as yourself, have you ever thought about how you love yourself? Have you actually thought about how it is that you love yourself? And if you haven't thought about how you love yourself, then how are you going to love your neighbour? According to the words of Jesus' great commandment here. I want to show you something now from a few years ago. A few years ago now. I'm going to be showing my age again like I did last week when playing the Sesame Street clip. I want to show you something from a few years ago now which may help us Australians think about how we love ourselves. Let's watch a clip now. Thanks.
You wouldn't rubbish your home. Australia's your home. Don't rubbish Australia. Now, apart from the great fashion sense of the people back in those days, what is that, what's the message of that clip? The message of the clip is very simple. If you wouldn't treat your house, your own house of where you live, as a rubbish dump, then don't treat your home, Australia, as a rubbish dump. So if you love yourself in a way that you're not going to rubbish your home, that that then can translate to us loving ourselves as Australians about making sure we protect the environment of Australia. So if that's the way that we Australians love ourselves, what does it mean then when it says that we are to love our neighbour as we love ourselves? Perhaps an extension of the second of Jesus' great commandments then is this. Love your neighbour's environment the way that you love your environment. But how concerned are we even of the condition of the Great Barrier Reef at the moment? Or the habitats for koalas? Or trying to look at flood or bushfire mitigation? How, how concerned are we about that? As Australians. So if we only have a quasi-relationship to those particular things, what concern will we have for our neighbours? <laughs> and particularly neighbours that are an even greater dis economic disadvantage than we find ourselves at. Remember, the plight of our neighbours and their environments are different to ours. And those neighbours are even at more economic disadvantage than us. And they even become even more the focus of these environmental impacts than even that we experience in our nation. So if that's the case, then what is the significance when the Bible says these things? The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Ooh, that's hard hitting. See, when our Pacific neighbours tell us tell of their experiences and their concerns about rising sea levels, about destruction of fishing grounds, about the salination of farming land as a result of storm surges because of an increased amount of cyclones, meaning that the farmland now is, cannot, be, cannot farm anything, it won't produce, and the resultant people migration as a result of that, when we hear these concerns, when we hear these experiences from our neighbours, do we believe them? Interesting, what else the Bible says from Proverbs again? It says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out but not be answered. Do we actually have concern for the poor? The poor which are being more profoundly impacted by environmental issues than other parts of the world, be they climate change related or not. In fact, the Pacific Island Forum in 2018, all the member nations there agreed to a thing called the Bow Declaration. And the Bow Declaration in 2018 says this, that it is climate change which is the single greatest threat to the livelihoods, security and well-being of the peoples of the Pacific. This was said back in 2018 at the Pacific Island Forum again then in Fiji just a couple of months ago. That declaration was once again affirmed, 
recognising that it is the environmental effects which are going to have the greatest impact upon the Pacific region itself. Now, because of that, some of the Pacific Island nations are starting to make decisions about that concern. Publicly, I'll say that, publicly it appears that nations like Kiribati are even, even entering into new geopolitical agreements with countries like China because they believe China is better positioned to help them deal with environmental issues that's confronting their nation and the region as a whole. They're entering into agreements with China. And we're going, why would you do that? China's got their own, <laughs> you know, environmental track record that causes us all no matter of concern, but see it at face value. This is a cry of the poor. Who is listening to the cry of the poor who's going to come and try to help them? So when our poor neighbours, our poorer neighbours cry out, will we listen? To that. How do we love our neighbours as we love ourselves, Jesus says. Now, this situation with some of our immediate Pacific neighbours is not just localised to the Pacific. It's all around the world. And as Jesus says, our neighbour... In the parable of the Good Samaritan, our neighbour is not merely the person who lives next door. Our neighbour is anybody who is in need and then who we get involved in to show them mercy. That is our neighbour. See, when it comes to the plight of the poor and their experiences of a changing environment and their cries that they ring out, I wonder if we are very much like the two two of the key characters in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know those religious people? the priest and the Levite, who see who see what's going on, see the person who had been affected by the actions of others, but yet these people, they see, but they walk around. They see, but I won't get involved. I see, but I won't do anything to help. See, ecological justice is just as as valid as any other commitment that we make to helping the poor and the needy. But it's one of those ones we rarely ever think about. When was the last time you thought about the impact of the people in the Pacific Islands, for instance, as being an issue of justice for them? So what does it do then in this whole topic of ecological justice? What does it do to our understanding then of a passage that we are very familiar with because we used it, looked at it a little while ago? What does the issue of ecological justice do to our understanding when Micah says, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Notice here that there is... There's, that we've had two passages here today that's talking about humility. God's words to Solomon says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will come and heal their land. And now Micah is talking about the stuff that say, we are to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. You see, if we are not humble and recognise the plight of the poor when it comes to environmental issues then will God ever come and heal our land? You see, could it be that in my ecological stewardship, 
I'm looking after the environment, not simply because it makes the environment better, but because it helps address injustice. That I care, we care about the environment because we care about justice. We care about justice for the poor. Have you ever thought about it that way? Ever before? That looking after the environment helps the poor. But thanks be to Jesus that he forgives us of our sins. He forgives us of our sins of greed and sloth like we talked about last week when it comes to ecological stewardship. But also that Jesus forgives us of our sins when we forget about justice for the poor even to the extent of what they're experiencing in environmental issues. Thanks be to Jesus because of the forgiveness that we have received ourselves means now that we have gone through a process of repentance and we now instead of going through our own way, we're now going God's way. And God's way is what? God's way is caring for the environment and caring for the poor. You know, Jesus is our hope. But Jesus is also the hope of the poor because the poor is hoping that the people who have been affected and transformed by the presence of Jesus in our lives, that we will then champion their cause because we know God's ways and God's ways is for the stewardship of the environment and the help of the poor. (laughs) You know, I wonder if any of us have even thought about that before. So what do we do about all this? Well, next week, and I hope that we'll have the place full to overflowing next week, because we're going to be talking about our ecological response. What are we to do with all the stuff we've talked about over the last few weeks? Well, next week, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And I want you to come with your ideas about what you can do individually and what we can do as a church to not only ensure that we are good ecological stewards, but also about how we can champion justice in this world. So come next week with your ideas. We're going to do things a little bit differently. But I pray more than anything else that on on an issue that probably we've never heard about, thought about before, that the presence of God right now may be impacting your heart and thinking about, yeah, looking after the environment, it's not just good for the environment, Looking after the environment can also help the poor. Wouldn't that be something if that's our world view? I hope that's the case. As Mark and Justine come now to lead us in our final song this morning, if there's anything happening in your life right now that you need prayer for, then myself and John Owens, we would love to pray with you about those particular things. Edwina will be here as well in case that you'd prefer to talk to Edwina than John and myself, as attractive as John and myself are, I'm sure that you might rather talk to Edwina. If you want to, if you need prayer for anything at the moment, then please take the moment to come out the back and we'll have to pray with you. But particularly if God has laid something on your heart today about the issue of ecological justice on behalf of the poor. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we want to give you thanks and praise that today you have opened our eyes perhaps to something that we've never considered before. And we believe, Lord God, that right now that you are moving in our hearts and that you are doing something within us to us to have to change our worldview and understand about who we are to be as your people. 
Lord, we desire you to come and heal our land. But we recognize that through for you to do that, we need to humble ourselves, admit our shortcomings, and come and seek you. If we will do that, then you will heal our land. Lord, may we do that in the positions that we have individually and for us as a church, for us as a nation, that we may acknowledge and confess to you, Lord God, our failings, so that you come and heal our land and heal the lands of those of our neighbours. Lord, we need you so much. Oh, Lord God, may today, Lord God, start something within each of us so that we can be the people that you want us to be, conscious always about the poor, helping the poor and being good stewards of the environment that you so gloriously created. Lord, I want to pray for each of us now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.